1: All right, folks, welcome into the latest Matt Wire podcast, take two, because I screwed up, which is natural for me, Jeremy Moss. Hey, it's like the weekend, right, Matt? Week three was a full of mistakes and miscues, right?
0: It, it is a reflection of just how rough the last weekend was for the conference at large, yeah.
1: Oh, folks, Matt Kennerly there. We, week three does not get a mulligan, but we do when I start the podcast off wrong, but... That's us, MWCWire.com, Facebook, Mountain West Wire, Twitter, all that fun stuff, uh, Patreon, if you want to give us a few bucks. Hey, we'd like that, Patreon.com slash MWCWire. I think people should give us money because we had to endure watching so many games this weekend. I think that's only fair. <laughs> <laughs> to make it through the games, right? So a, symp- a
0: sympathy dollar is what you're saying.
1: <laughs> yeah, and, or, and you can hijack our power pool too, if you want. That's always a fun, fun perk you can do. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's uh, let's just get going here because this show we can recap all the games. Like guess guess who will? But there's two things that stood out to me big time this week: uh, quarterbacks and stupid South Florida.
0: Okay, so which one do you want to start with?
1: I want to start with this. Um, well, let's get to stupid quarterback play because we'll go through the games. Because you tweeted out a couple big games. I'm kind of curious about why. I knew why some were there, but other, others, I'll need some explanation for you. Okay. But let's get to that near the end. Let's just kind of start with quarterback play, and in general, we'll get to the games in a second here, but um, Kat Myers, what the heck's going on? San Jose State had injuries to Montel Aaron, who had some sort of knee injury, ice on crutches, Nick Stevens, thumbs up. Um, apparently, you got some insight for Fresno in State. Is uh, Jeff Tefford. Uh, is Marcus Marin going to start next week, Matt? Is that some inside info you have?
0: That is at least what one person at the, the local Buffalo Wild Wings told me, yes.
1: <laughs> so hashtag sources on that one at the Buffalo Wild Wings, there you ha- go.
0: Hashtag insider analysis.
1: Exactly, yeah. Um, Nate Roman came in for Air Force, mostly because of his arm. Christian Chapman, another, I'll give him two thumbs up. Uh Nevada.
0: Cayman Curitan.
1: Not the Grand Cayman experience we thought was going to happen. <laughs>
0: great nickname Ugh. everything else a little everything else a little shaky
1: Josh Allen to the CFL
0: Christian Chapman nails
1: I think we're good yeah I think that sums up the quarterback play right yeah oh jeez my quarterback rankings are going to be extremely uh switched again because I don't know who's playing quarterback for Boise State uh, New Mexico has a backup quarterback injured Um, is jeez oh, People say, like, how did you put Christian Chapman number three? He might be number two. He might be number one. Honestly, I can no longer. It's, I think it's safe to say I can no longer make fun of Christian Chapman.
0: I mean, I I could have told you that before the season started.
1: I, for me, I remember I wanted to see it though, Matt. I wanted to see him do something, and he him to David Wells to win that game. Like you said, nails, clutch. All right, let's get to games. I think it's, I am will vent throughout the whole show. So if you hear an exasperated side either of our ends, you'll know why, because, oh, these games. All right, New Mexico and Boise State. Raise your hand. Everybody should be raising your hand to know that Montel Cozart was going to start the game, correct? Everyone should have their hand raised above their head. Yes. Was that no secret whatsoever?
0: If you're driving, though, maybe keep one hand on the steering wheel.
1: I didn't say, yes, I didn't say two hands, one hand. Just be okay. careful, folks. Thumbs up. Just acknowledge that if you thought Brett Rippard was going to play, um, I don't know what to tell you. I'll tell you Santa Claus is real or something. I don't know. Um, let's see. <laughs> but the first game started Thursday night, and yet the league went, what did they go, 2-9 this week? But one win had to happen because it was a conference game. What if the what if they went winless outside of that game? That would have been even, fathom, that would have been even worse if no team won on Saturday. Yeah
0: yeah because and not only for the the one week but for the long term ramifications too, because you consider you know Colorado State already has two losses, Boise State has a loss, and if the Aztecs had lost that game, now all of a sudden everybody's chasing South Florida and you know if they do go undefeated like some people out there think that they will, you know that's uh you know another year without the New Year's Day Bowl for the Mountain West Conference as a whole.
1: Yeah, we'll get to all that. So we had, we'll had start the game Thursday night. Eventually, we're getting there, folks. We're crawling our way to get to these games. Boise State 28-14. And I love passionate Twitter, but you know what I don't like when people call us out for hating on New Mexico. Not the case. We love the Lobos. And I have to correct people when they say, Oh, their defense is just as good as Boise State or just as good as the conference at the top level. Um, try again, folks. They played well in this game, right? But overall, Lobos defense, um... If they're top half, that's probably exceeding their expectations most years. I
0: mean, I think it's it's hard to make any definitive statement one way or the other because, you know, in the opener, you know, they got off to a little bit of a shaky start and then they kind of held it together and they won the opener against Abilene Christian. And then against New Mexico State, they basically got blown out of the water. They didn't look like they could defend the pass for three quarters before they finally buckled down and were able to rally. On defense, this game was probably their best overall performance. You know, they did hold Boise to only 264 yards of total offense. They held him to a shade over five yards per play. By those measures, it's pretty good. As a team, they had seven tackles for loss. They brought down Cozart, you know, for one sack. So it wasn't too bad. They did a lot to hold the Broncos in check. But to say that you know do we know exactly how good they are i think over three games it's really difficult to say
1: yeah that was my point i'm like boise's proved it and new mexico hasn't and yeah you give up i know new mexico state's probably going to go to a bowl game going to be a decent team in the sun belt but it's like come on it's like give me more than that because if you look what boise did like if you want to kind of compare the game like they held new mexico to just under four yards per carry
0: yeah and that was the first time they'd done that in about two years
1: yeah, and, then, and then as with also New Mexico having Lamar Jordan and switching to uh, Colton Gerhardt, who led the team in rushing. And so they held him in check. Both defenses played well. Because remember, last year, Boise scored, what, 59,000 points against this team, ripping through for like 450 yards or something? It was just ridiculous. And a couple of things noticing watching this game, like we'll get to the targeting and all that stuff in a little bit. People say dirty hit. I, one thing, well, well, I'll, we'll get that in a minute. I don't want to jump around. But Kozart was more efficient, did well, but he... He severely lacks the uh, downfield threat Brett Rippon has. He only had 137 yards. Yeah, 15 of 19 underneath stuff outside of the one Cedric Wilson long pass. He had nothing downfield. And that's a problem for, not, I guess not a problem, but that's the difference between Rippon and Cozart in this game. Cozart also led the team in rushing, which is another concern. There's no running game for Boise because their offensive line isn't very good at the moment. So there's a lot of... Things that didn't go well for Boise State, not to say that it wasn't New Mexico doing good things, but what we normally see, it's usually Boise's offense throwing for 280 and rushing for another 200 yards on the ground by by a couple of guys. So Cozart redeemed himself a bit from that Washington State fourth quarter, but I'd still say whenever Ripon's healthy, he should be the guy full time. But they did they made enough plays in this game. Like they didn't run the ball very well either, outside of Cozart because Wopen three and a half yards per carry. Madison, what what's what, what's up with him going six of ten? This offense has a lot of work to do.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I think that some of that is a credit to the New Mexico defense. You know, like you mentioned with Cozart, he didn't have any of the glaring mistakes. And I think you could probably say the same thing about Boise as a whole. They didn't have the glaring mistakes that, you know, brought about that fourth quarter comeback in Washington State. You know, he was 15 of 19, 137 yards, two touchdowns. That's pretty good. But, like, when you when you dive a little further into the numbers, what you can start to give New Mexico's defense a little bit of credit for is, you know, Boise was only what? I'm trying, Now I'm trying to find the number. I think they were, like, 3 of 13 or 4 of 11 on third downs. And a lot of that had to do with the fact that the average third down was just about third and nine throughout this game. And, you know, Cozart was... Okay, You know, he was 3 of 5 on those third down situations. But it was just one of those things where they were almost playing keep away, I think, with the Lobos. Who, you know, with Jordan's absence, especially later in the game, they weren't at full strength. And then also the Boise State defense really clamping down on this running game. Which, you know, through three weeks, hasn't looked as explosive as they were a year ago. So, yeah, Kozart was fine. And that's all yeah, i got to say about
1: that. Yeah, that's so, what I mean. He was fine. Like, when you see Ripon, like, if, if Ripon were to go 15 to 19, he would to pass for, like, 300 yards, I'm saying. But a couple of things, too. Like, look deeper. They were 4 of 11 on third down. I got that up here. Um, they also had eight penalties for 73 yards, which is terrible miscues and mistakes on them. But then you look at Mexico. They weren't very good offensively. Third, of th- three of 13 on third downs. So they had to go for four times on fourth down made it twice. While they had zero penalties, they coughed the ball up twice, mm-hmm. which never helps. And... Let's just get to the play like everybody's pissed about because of the uh, targeting call that knocked out Lamar Jordan. Because Tuviato didn't tra- travel, Tui didn't travel to this game, and there's that same guy on Twitter saying, "Oh, they knew they were going to go after They targeted Jordan because they knew they'd be down to a third-string quarterback." Just stop it. They're not thinking about that during a game. If I take this guy out, they're going to be down to their third-string quarterback. Nobody's thinking that during a game. Some of these plays were targeting. Like I would say, well, overwhelming majority, they're not doing it on purpose. It's just usually bad technique or it's a late hit. Or sometimes I've seen if you're trying to make it an excellent tackle and you're going with the shoulder, sometimes the person you're going after moves themselves, especially like a quarterback throwing the ball or a player diving where it changes their trajectory where, Oh yeah, they hit them with the crown of the head where it wasn't necessarily what the defender did. It's part a little bit, but when the offensive player moves and a person's already mid flight, what are you going to do sometimes? Sometimes that happens. So for that, Comment for people saying they went after Jordan just to get him out of the game. I'm like, no, shut your mouth. That's not the case at all.
0: I mean, the thing about targeting in particular is that and this is not to excuse the the hit that Hatada put on Jordan because it it wasn't a good look for him personally, yeah. but I mean generally speaking, when you're looking at targeting, you're looking at like split decisions, right. And so, you know, what what I always wonder and what I remember wondering in this particular instance is, like, it would not have looked so bad if it had looked like he was just trying to wrap up. And instead, it just just looked like he was leading with his helmet, leading with his shoulder. And, you know, when you're looking at a 300-pound dude putting a licking on a guy like Jordan, it's just the optics aren't going to look good. So I don't – I'm with you. I don't necessarily agree that there was any ill intent it was just kind of reckless on Hatata's part to just not practice those kinds of fundamentals.
1: Yeah, and that, it's, that's the thing, too. It's like, it's like I said, split decision. And again, if it's like a giant line, like I said, going after, what's Jordan, 5'8", 190, something? He's not even six feet tall, is he?
0: Off the top he's of my head, head, I don't know. He's not, but, it's
1: basically, it's, it's apples and oranges when you have a guy's, yeah, he's one ninety two. When you have a lineman that's, what, 300, 6'4"? Or so just even the sheer size, it's... It looks bad and you got to have better technique. You can't lead that way. You got to. It, it's Some people say it's all oh, you're getting soft. No, you don't want to hit with the head because it doesn't just hurt the person you're hitting. It, it can also hurt you as well if you're making a bad t- technique tackling or trying to tackle being a missile out there. Like leading with your head and then you go helmet to helmet, that's concussions and stuff and whiplash and severe stuff happens when that's the case. And so it's not just protecting the. It's, it's one thing, it's protecting the offensive player, or, or the receiver of the hit, but also the guy who's making the hit because it can hurt both of you. And it's just not smart football, but as for the game itself, my, I get, it was like when Gerhardt came in, he moved the ball pretty well, but you're right, this running game is not what it was. They don't have Tyron Owens, Terry Gibson, they don't have the guys back there who can move the ball as well. Like We all thought Tyron Owens would be fine, only 46 yards. Richard McCorley, only 36 yards, long of eight. There's no, we're typically seeing at least one or two plays in New Mexico going for like 40 plus yards a game. They had, two, I believe, just two rushes over 20 yards in this matchup.
0: Yeah, I mean, through three weeks, they just haven't been quite as explosive as they were last year. And, you know, I feel like we're not giving enough credit to Boise's front seven in particular, you know, Leighton Vander Esch, who we've, we've talked about very briefly in, you know, past recaps. But he's kind of playing at an all-conference caliber level right now. He had another 13 tackles. He's among the league leaders in tackles at the moment. You know, we're not talking enough about a guy like DeAndre Pierce who looked like he was all over the field. You know, he had 12 tackles and two and a half tackles for loss. You know, I think we're still waiting on word on Tyson Maeva. I know he got hurt at some point in that game. But, you know, the, the pieces that... Everybody expected to kind of step into these, you know, starting roles, these really crucial roles. These guys are stepping up and they're playing at a very high level so far. So yes, New Mexico's offense hasn't been as explosive, but I mean, let's not forget that the headaches, you know, the headaches that Boise State has had with this offense in the past. And so mm-hmm. to really clamp down the way they did, backup quarterback or not, is a credit to the coaching that Andy Avalos has done so far.
1: You know, it certainly is because that was always their Achilles heel. They struggle versus Air Force, struggle versus New Mexico. I, I know one Air Force game was the seven turnover game, but they slowed – they held New the Mexico to under 200 yards for the second straight game because when they played the Aggies, New Mexico State, week before, they had what? I think it was 198 I'm looking at, just under 200 yards again. And also, part of it too, a little bit, they're throwing the ball more as well. That's That has to be part of it as well Let's look at that. Or they, they threw 16 times. They had a team throw, whatever that was, I don't recall. But when Colton Gerhardt came in, 7-13 for 67 yards, which if you're in a New Mexico quarterback, I'd want to be somewhere in that neighborhood, maybe 8 or 9-13 and closer to 100 yards. But they're throwing the ball more. But it's just a different look in the offense. And one thing, too, I know Boyce had some short fields, but they only ran 51 plays, it looks like. You would expect a lot more, short field or not, when the Mexico team, who ran should run a lot more plays. They only ran, what, 65 plays? There weren't very many plays. Typically when you're playing New Mexico, Air Force, uh, Navy, there's a ton of plays. But also, shout out to Jake Rowe for showing up, man. Three touchdowns. He's finally back in the passing game. Two touchdown receptions. Had a Wildcat touchdown run from six yards out. I believe, not to brag, but I think he. I we're doing our fantasy football stuff for a handful of listeners. I think I have Jake Earl in my starting lineup this week. I should check on that. You don't That's even know? To... I... <laughs> I'm in a lot of leagues and teams. I'm sorry. Okay, I, I should pay... I'm, t- I, I, I'm just giving I you a should hard pay time. T- I'm going to look right now because you said that. I actually... Oh, I won this week. Excellent. Nobody's... No, no one's undefeated anymore in our league, so let me... um, Lamar Jordan. Uh, I think I had a Jake Rowe on my team. I'm going to double-check here. We'll get to it later, but I'm pretty sure I had Jake Rowe, who with three touchdowns uh, crushed it for me. Yes, in my starting lineup. There you go. He, he I played him, Matt, so you can rest easy now.
0: I mean, this this probably... Isn't your you know your Boise State team of yesteryear? This is probably a team, at least for the foreseeable future, that's going to be led by its defense, especially if if Ripon is slow to recover from the concussion or whatever he's being held out with, because they do have you know a Friday night game this week where they're hosting Virginia, but if he's not back to one hundred percent and they need to lean on Cozart again. You might be looking at a similar kind of game plan where, you know, they really want the defense to thrive, win the field position game, which, by the way, you know, Boise started on average on its own 41-yard line, whereas New Mexico only started at the 25 on average. You know, it might be kind of a defense and field position game, and if they play it as well as they have in the first few weeks, you know, it may not look as, you know... As fancy as it has in the past, it may not be as explosive as it was in the past. But wins are wins, and Boise State's definitely going to continue to be a factor as they get even further into conference play.
1: We'll get to that game later, but I don't trust Virginia. Boise should crush them, even with Cozart in the game. I would I would be safe to say that playing New Mexico is tougher than playing UVA. Okay, with Co- with Cozart or not, because UVA's only beaten uh, they lost to Indiana by two almost over two touchdowns. They beat UConn. Which come on, UConn near lost to a Holy Cross or something a couple weeks ago, <laughs> had to have a massive comeback, and they beat mm-hmm. William and Mary. So, all right, let's get to Saturday. Let's get to the. Uh, I would say the the game was book ended book ended book ended or book end what is it book ended yeah there we go. Um, <laughs> Air Force versus Michigan, and San Diego State, Wyoming or San Diego State. Sorry, I'm looking at Wyoming here. Stanford were the two best games of the day. We got to give it up to Air Force's defense, despite them losing twenty nine to thirteen. Their defense showed up and held Michigan to, what, five field goals and five red zone attempts and gave up no offensive touchdowns?
0: That game was a lot closer than I'm sure a lot of the national prognosticators thought it would be, and it was a lot closer than the final score might indicate. Yes, it says that Michigan won by 16, but this Air Force team showed up you know, we had questions about how the defense was going to respond to, uh, you know, a Michigan team that had promised but hadn't necessarily, you know, shown it on the field as of yet. And they came away and they held their own. Like, they only gave up about 350 yards of total offense, which is pretty good. You know, they ended up with, what, Eight tackles for loss, a couple of sacks, and everything like that for a team that was bringing in eleven or not 11, 10 new starters. I would consider. And I mean, they were
1: getting, they are giving hits on. Will Wil- Sp- Spate was getting leveled throughout the game. Like he was getting hit. He made a couple throws, but he's getting hit after hit after hit. He's getting yeah. crushed. Like Marcus Griffin, Jack Floor had a pretty big game. They were getting after him and just. That they're okay. They're officially credited credited with one QB hurry, but there's at least three or four times he got crush after the throw or in throw process
0: yeah and I mean I think that you can definitely highlight some of the individual performances in this game like one one guy who really stood out to me was Jack Floor in the middle of that defense who you know had a big sack right before halftime that nearly took Michigan out of field goal range he ended up with 11 tackles you know Marcus Griffin who had a really heads up pass defense that kept Michigan out of the end zone I believe it was like late in the first quarter he broke coverage and defended a pass, basically, basically at the goal line.
1: The near interception, right? Yeah, I believe it was. Okay.
0: Yeah, and he had eleven tackles and a tackle and a half tackle for loss. You know, Garrett Coppola, um, you know all those guys, ought to be really proud of themselves. Like, not to lean too much on moral victories, but you know, we know these guys can play now. You know what I mean?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. The. The defense, I was concerned because we know Michigan going into the game already had to struggle red zones. We talked about, well, in the non-existent podcast, Well, in Spate having issues. He threw no touchdowns, no interceptions. They had oh – no, they, they did have one offensive touchdown. Am I incorrect? Was that the one late in the game, I guess?
0: It was late in the game, yeah.
1: Okay. Sorry, they had one rushing touchdown by Karen Higdon there. But a couple of things this game that I want Air Force to work on. They went away from the fullback dive in this game too often because – when you hear Matt Millen and I forget who's with him talking about the option and stuff. They're giving the right terminology and saying what should, you should Michigan should be doing defensively. It's like what I always said before. It's like one eleven football. If you if you're the safety, if you're the nose tackle, defensive end, you do the same thing nearly every play. Because one time that nose tackle decides to or defensive tackle decides to not go out for the fullback dive and play the uh, speed option, that's when they hand it off to like Parker Wilson and goes off for 50 yards, or, like some huge rumble down the field. But the thing is, they went away from it because Rome or not Roman, but Roman came in late to try to pass them back in the game when they're down 16s. They had the one missed field goal, but on offense they didn't do the nose nose dive not nose dive, but the fullback dive against that nose tackle enough. And frankly, I think Worthman kept the ball too many times. There were enough plays where the lane was open above him or below him to pitch it to whoever's back there, whether it had been Wilson, Ronald, Cleveland, McVeigh, or anybody that he decided to keep it himself. Not that that would have made a difference in the game, but when he when they know you're going to keep the ball, they Michigan slowly decided to go after Worthman more and take the risk of him either pitching it late like he did one time or just keeping it, and they won that battle because he only had 2.3 yards per carry, and half of his rushing yards came on one play, that 34-yarder. So had he pitched a bit more and had the offense gone to the fullback dive more, who knows, maybe the outcome would have been closer, could have been different, but on offensively, that was the one thing. I didn't like very much. And they had the—they did have that 164 touchdown pass that was across the middle, which was very nice and a great throw, but 1-7. So there were some issues in offense because they kind of went away from their game plan a bit. And Romine, ah, oh, jeez, I keep mixing them up. Worthman was being a bit selfish, I felt, with the ball.
0: I mean, to be fair, they were getting, like, nothing in the middle. And a lot of that, I think, is a credit to the talent that Michigan has in the middle of their defense. You know, if you look at you know, the guys who racked up the most tackles and tackles for loss. You know, Mike McCray and Devin Bush had three tackles for loss and 22 tackles between them. Nine overall. Jeez. Uh, know, yeah, and, and Chase Winovich and Rashawn Gary, you know, each had yeah, at least a tackle and a half for a loss. And, you know, by the way, they also had two sacks between them as well. So... You know, yeah, I understand what you're saying, and I think if you look at the box score, it's kind of telling that you know Wilson only ended up with eight carries, and Worthman had 26 on his own. But I think that was a matter of you know Michigan really shutting down that option and forcing Worthman to kind of make plays with his legs.
1: Yeah, but they're never going to beat him on and, the outside playing speed football. They're never going to win that battle against Michigan.
0: Yeah, and, I mean, you're right about that, which is why their drive chart was a little bit, you know, It wasn't as consistent as you would like because, you know, if you look, for instance, you know, from the second to the third quarter, you know, they had two field goal drives, you know, 12 plays, 24 yards, the six plays, 42 yards. And then, you know, they went three and out and then they went three and out and then they finally put together a four play 75 yard drive where they, I believe that was when they hit Cleveland Mm -hmm. on the, on the slant. So. I mean, I understand what you're saying. I just think that's more a credit to Michigan than it is a detriment to Air Force. I think they just weren't getting the results that they wanted from being able to run up the middle.
1: No, I get that, but it's just one of the things where you got to try to do it. Because it's like, no matter what, you watch Navy or Army, they always do it no matter what. I get the fullbacks there are more prevalent. But when they can't go to the outside, when you don't have, like, look at last year's team. They had Jalen Orbanette. They could throw the ball if they need to. One thing I really disliked in this game when they were at the, where was it? They went for well, third and goal. Oh yeah, third and goal at the seven yard line. Where they where he took that freaking uh, sack. What? Why are they not? They passed, They tried to pass the ball. Zero play action. Why are you not running to play action? What's the point of that? If they yes, they know you're going to throw. But the seven yard line, there's a still reasonably decent chance Air Force would still try to run in for a touchdown. Why not do some sort of read option or some sort of a play action to at least make Michigan do something that they know that's going to come, but instead they do a standard drop back. And for some reason, Worthman doesn't even throw it away. He takes a sack back to the 20. That was one play too, but the fullback dive, it's like, you got to keep trying and doing it. I don't know me. I just felt they went away from it too early, even though it's not working. They should still have done it. I think enough to make Michigan respect that, but they still played well. Like the two, my two main things were the poor, the poorest thing that really was in this game was special teams. They missed a field goal. They allowed the t- touchdown on the on the kick or the punt return, and they allowed a lot. Was it two hundred? Not two hundred. Hundred and fifty rush or re- returning yards against them. They had good field position all day for Michigan. The two punt returns by Donovan Peoples Jones, a touchdown, and the other long one. Those were the two things. Not that they would have made a difference had they not give the touchdown, but on the kick return or punt return. I felt special teams kind of failed them because there were some pretty bad punts as well.
0: Yeah. And I was going to point that out too, you know, especially, you know, Charlie Scott did not have his greatest game. And I mean, if you look at the drive chart, they, they had, I believe three drives in the middle of the game where they started on air forces side of the field. And then that was also when people's Jones had that punt return for a touchdown. But I think it's also a credit to Air Force's defense that, you know, aside from the punt return, all three of those drives ended in a field goal rather than a touchdown.
1: Yeah, that's my main thing. Like, their defense was way better than anybody thought. Maybe Michigan's offense is terrible, and maybe Michigan shouldn't be a top-ten team. But regardless, they stopped. Like, holding any team to five field goals in the red, like, did they have, was it actually five red zone appearances for Michigan? Or is it just five field goals?
0: That was five field goals.
1: No, I mean, but were they in the red zone every time? I think.
0: Uh, I think so.
1: I'm checking real quick. There twice. Yeah, his, 10, his long once.
0: was his long was 49. So I think the rest of them, four or five, were in the red zone.
1: Still impressive. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it looks like that's correct. Yeah, as I'm scrolling through really quick at 18. So yeah, that's that's impressive when any team. I don't care if you're playing Michigan, Ohio State, if you're playing Hawaii or New Mexico or. Appalachian State doesn't matter if you can hold a team to four red zone attempts and four field goals only you're doing something right and maybe Air Force like where would you as we wrap this up would you still stick them behind Boise and CSU or would you maybe where would you kind of put them in that ranking in the mountain division
0: I mean I think I probably would I was a little more bullish on the Falcons coming into the year than you were if I'm not mistaken and You know, now that we know a little bit more about how their defense can play, you know, they might be the one team that kind of throws a wrench into however the race unfolds. You know, they get San Diego State at home next Saturday, so they get a chance to kind of they get a chance to kind of do that right away.
1: And if Boise's offense struggles, I could see them beating Boise State again. We'll have to see. We'll find out, but all right. Next game. Now we're getting to the. Jeez, the, oh, maybe we'll blast through these and get everybody's get the misery out out of out of the way quickly. Utah State ten, Wake Forest forty six. Again, I hate people on Twitter so much. You know what's even worse when people hijack your conversation to tell you you mean something else when you don't. Explain. And I think you, well, you jumped. You jumped in as well. There was a comment where, like, just. I think it was our Utah State guy, Con, was like, oh, man, I was so excited for the season, and then this happens. And I mentioned, like, yeah, I figured – I didn't think Wake was that good. Somebody hops in, well, they beat Boston College by two touchdowns or something. I'm like – and my reply, like, okay, so you beat Boston College on the road. Who cares? And then it kept going. I'm like, well, you know they're losing to Notre Dame, like, by 25 points right now. And then they're like, what the heck are you saying? What the heck are you saying? And I'm like, if you paid attention, I was just saying – I didn't think Wake Forest was that good because they're insinuating that I thought Utah State was better than BC and Wake Forest at some point. And I'm like, no. I didn't think Wake Forest was any good. And beating Boston College, I don't care. They're not good either. So that doesn't help help you out either to say hey, it was just a whole mess. Where I was just saying I thought Wake Forest wasn't that good. I think you hopped in and said they'd give a scare to somebody and win like eight games. They tried to make it seem like I was thinking Utah State was better than what they were and that they're better than BC. I'm like, no. I thought Wake Forest wasn't good, but they're good. That's all it was. I'm like, just people, PSA, don't hijack conversations unless you like read the whole thread above. Come on.
0: Well, I mean, I think it's kind of an extension of something that we had talked about in the preview podcast before it was, you know, Lost to Oblivion and stuff like that. I thought that you were underrating Wake Forest a little bit because, you know, it, I don't think I mentioned the whole WakiLeaks thing that happened last year, but I saw <laughs> them play in their bowl game and they looked pretty potent especially on offense and if you watch this game that's kind of what you saw they basically moved the ball against the Aggies defense at will and it was basically over by halftime like they had racked up what three almost 400 yards of total offense in the first half and they were doing it with a really yeah they were doing it with a really balanced attack too like they were able to run the ball I believe you know uh, our bird had 91 yards by halftime. Uh, John Wolford was fairly accurate 10 of 19, 171 yards, two touchdowns. It was just really, it wasn't what I expected. Like, I expected Wake to be able to move the ball and to score a little bit, but I did not expect this.
1: Well, neither did I in Utah State. Like, we thought their defense would be a bit better. They were not. They, uh, one note they don't have Tony Lindsey, he's out for the year, so that's official now. They had no running game to save their lives. Like, Edero Allen, Eltero Allen, excuse me, tw- one and a half yards per carry. They brought in a Jordan Love over Kent Myers, and he actually had a touchdown pass. Utah it's just a terrible mess, and honestly, Matt Willis is not going to survive this year.
0: I mean, he's going to have to get it together in conference play really quick.
1: You see, though, they play in the Mountain Division. They Boise, they're not gonna beat, they're not gonna beat Air Force, they're not gonna beat Colorado State, they're probably not gonna beat Mexico. And maybe Wyoming gets together, I'm not too high on them anymore, but they might be the worst team in the mountain division.
0: I mean if you I mean, just watching this game, it's kinda of hard to disagree. I mean, I feel kinda of bad for Kent Myers though, because you know, if you don't have a running game behind you, it doesn't really matter what you do or don't do. Like he they just weren't throwing the ball down the field at all and it didn't seem like he like he wasn't necessarily that accurate but it didn't just seem like they were taking chances
1: you would think with this offense like with David Yost wanting to go four or five wide and truck it down the field that's not happening they threw what they threw yeah they threw 37 times but yeah I'd love got got down the field more but I and Two of those passes were were about for half the yard. You had a 77 yarder to Gerald Bright, the touchdown, and Zavac, Zach Van Leeuwen, which you mentioned at some point online, 64 yard reception. That's it. That's half the yards on two plays. Defense didn't show up. They allowed too much to receiving group. They lost too much to Bird on the ground. Gave up almost 300 yards combined between two quarterbacks. Tell me something Utah State did right in this game. I don't see much of anything outside of the long touchdown pass.
0: It reminded me a lot of watching the 2015 Fresno State offense where, you know, he was throwing throwing a lot of, you know, sideline-to-sideline side passes and hoping that the wide receiver can do something with him. And, like, if you look at, you know, Ronquavie and Tarver's line, for instance, five catches, 35 yards, long of 13 yards. Like, you know, he's a guy who can go to downfield and get it, and they're just not putting him in a position where he can do something like that. that I mean, I don't know if that's more of... You know, the offense is asking him to do something different or not, but something is just not working. I don't know that it's all on Myers. You know, this is like the third straight week where the running game just basically has been non-existent for the most part.
1: Well, it's like last year. Like, here's the thing. Coming into the season, I didn't realize they lost 100 starts on the offensive line, and last year's offensive Mm -hmm. line wasn't good either. And so... Looking at who they have uh, – sorry, autoplay videos. Very Just enough to get me in the background. It's not very loud, but they put the volume midway. But if you look at last year, like Myers was better than he was last year than this year after a few games. Like last year he was still completing not great, nearly 60% of his passes. And when you look at him when he's throwing last year, he wasn't throwing as much, but he still had 10 touchdowns. He was doing okay, but eight picks is way too many clearly anyways when you only have 10 touchdowns and three of them were against Fresno. He was running the ball a bit more because he had almost 500 yards last year. And this year, he's running for what? They're not even allowing him to run the ball. He has 100 yards, and 85 was against Idaho State. So maybe let him run a bit more. But I know it's a new offensive scheme and everything. But nothing. Like I, I, Honestly, I don't know who they they beat on the schedule. The rest of the way, would they beat, like, sorry, San Jose State or Fresno State, but would they beat them? They play at UNLV. I don't think they could beat UNLV if this defense plays that bad. They're not going to beat Hawaii. Their schedule, they got San Jose State next week, maybe. That's something. I don't know. But next week will tell us a lot about both those teams. But I see nothing, nothing's positive for me to see what's going on in this team. Like, give me a positive. I don't know. It's not Kent Myers. It's a little bit him, but it's also no running game, no offensive line. Defense is just the worst it's been in years. Like, the last time they've given up 46 points, I'd have to do some research, but it's been a long time since that's been the case.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the the I was just gonna say, I think the next couple of weeks are gonna be a real crucible for this team. You know, they go to San Jose State and they're at home against BYU. Both of those teams have looked eminently beatable in the first few weeks <laughs> of the season.
1: That BYU Utah State game is gonna be the worst game of the year. At by it's terrible. BYU's terrible. Utah State's terrible. So I mean, if
0: Ugh. if they lose both of those games. You know, when is – do you happen to know when Utah State's bye week is? Is it not until November or something?
1: Um, it is – yeah, it's um, actually New Mexico. So they play 11-4, then have the week off, and then play 11-18 against Hawaii at home.
0: I mean, my guess is that if they don't turn it around the next couple weeks, that's when Matt Wells is, like, really playing for his job or coaching for his job.
1: Okay, prediction. Utah State's going um... – I was going to ask you something you don't have, so I'm not even going to say it, because I'm going to ask you what my win total was for Utah State. I think I put five. Honestly, they're going to win maybe two games max. Like, they might beat San Jose State, and that's about it. Like, even though BYU struggled, they actually have a decent defense. Uh, they're not – like, CSU, no way. Wyoming, I don't think so. At UNLV, UNLV can score. Utah State's proven not to. Boise at UNM, I'm not confident. Road game. Hawaii, at Air Force. Matt Wells might be... Okay, here's the thing. If if they lose to San Jose State, do you think he'll be fired?
0: I mean, I think it's probably going to... I think it's probably going to take more than one conference loss for Wells to lose his job. But, like... I mean, if they go into November with, like, two wins, he's probably gone.
1: Okay, here's what I'm going to say. Because remember Norm Chow? Didn't he get beat pretty bad by Air Force? And then he got fired at home? Yes. I don't think they'd fire him on the road, but... If they lose to San Jose State and then lose bad to BYU, I honestly could see him being out after that BYU game.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's kind of hard to argue otherwise.
1: If they're sitting at, especially, if they, obviously they have to lose San Jose State, but if they're sitting at 1-5, or that'd be 1-4, there's no, he's, I, sorry everybody likes Utah State, and I know people want more coverage from us on them, but it's like, come on. If they're not going to be, if they lose to San Jose State and BYU, he's gone. I'm calling it right now. He's going to be out.
0: Then I guess we'll have to see.
1: We'll see. Let's move on. Uh, CSU Alabama. So Nick Saban um, sort of said Colorado State's kind of good. <laughs> That's why I kind of dig from that a little bit. He had to put the starters back in late in the game. When it got a little bit close, a little bit pesky for his uh, Crimson Tide.
0: I mean, they were only down 17-10 late in the first half.
1: They were. It was 17-10. to Then – Alabama happened to score a quick touchdown at to the end of the half, which could have made things really interesting had they not scored. Because it was a... I'm just trying to pull up the chart here. They had the... Uh, Alabama missed a field goal. Rams got a field goal. They scored a touchdown, but with 90 seconds left in the first half, Alabama went five plays, 76 yards. Had it been 17-10 to 10 at the half? Not saying, but... Stuff could have happened. Oh, yeah. And it doesn't help when they throw back-to-back interception for touchdowns, essentially, in second in the third quarter. That's where the game got out of hand. Like, 24-10, okay, that, you're down by that much. That's, uh, that stinks. But when Nick Stevens has an interception, Alabama does a massive 14-drive play, and then they have a short field, two plays, a touchdown. That was pretty much it, 38-18. Rams came back, but they, this game was closer than what kind of closer, I guess if you want to say that. But Rams moved the ball well, and so they gave – Alabama enough of challenge, like I said, to put the starters back in when they scored two late touchdowns and went for the onside kick to try to make something happen.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that big plays really hurt them throughout the game. You know, not only, you know, for instance, Jalen Hurts had two touchdown passes of seventy eight and fifty two yards. And it was to me that that second one to Robert Foster late in the second quarter that, you know, really hurt their chances because you know, they cut. You know, three guys, I believe, in the secondary out of position. I'm trying to envision the uh, the replay in my head where it was like a comeback route to Foster, and he basically, you know, turned around and beat the dude right in front of him. But th- there were two other defenders who were behind him, who were just like totally out of position as he cut back across the middle of the field. And I mean, I think that that's the kind of thing that'll probably get ironed out in conference play i mean i don't think they're going to be dealing with that kind of speed on a weekly basis in the mountain west no but i mean it's a a, you know a, a woulda coulda shoulda kind of thing where if that doesn't happen and they go into the half down 17 to 10 you know on the whole they like you said they did move the ball pretty well you know they showed an ability to move the chains i definitely didn't expect them to go 10 of 17 on third downs And when they got into the red zone, more often than not, they made their opportunities count. You know, Warren Jackson had a really nice afternoon. He only had two catches, but both of them were short touchdowns. You know, it wasn't a perfect game. They didn't have chances. They did have chances that they didn't fully take advantage of. But I think, all things considered, when you're considering the opponent and when you're considering everything that they were able to do, they can't feel too badly about losing this one.
1: And then watching like the beginning of the play, I'm like, is Jalen Hurts going to have another 60-plus yard touchdown run on the first play when he ran for, like, what? I think that was his longest run of the game, that 27-yarder, to start off the game, one of the first couple of plays. I'm like, oh, here we go again. But again, Alabama has, like, the rushing game isn't that great. Outside of Hurts, Bo Scarborough did pretty good, 66 yards, Damian Harris 53. But that offensive line for Alabama just spread it open, and for Hurts to run for 100-plus yards, just over 100. But... Rushing Rams did okay. It's it's hard to run against this team, and it's you're playing the number one team of the country for a reason. And they put up twenty three points against them, and they ran the ball okay. Like Michael Gallup had. There's a, who's the guy they wanted to match up with um, defensively? Do you recall who that was? They had the was it Minka Fitzpatrick? They there's something pro football focused. Yeah, on the, watch this matchup. I can't. I don't recall who it was. Was it? Yeah, Fitzpatrick? it was.
0: It was. It was Fitzpatrick. Yeah.
1: So people don't see that matchup. I don't have what they went up against each other. They may have at PFF, but 5 for 81. It's pretty good. They, they had four guys average over 15 yards per catch. It's not bad. So they could... they could, they could Yeah, they found success moving the ball, and I noticed a little bit like from Twitter and stuff, like, oh, they're going I-formation because Alabama's struggling to linebacker, which they were, because they're still looking to replace those two. Uh, I think one starter, one key contributor from the FSU loss. and That helped with some shorter passes and a little bit of the running game, but... They played fine. Like, it's not a blowout, and they put up a lot of points. And it's – think of this. Remember, versus Colorado, they only scored three points. And then they go to 23 against Alabama. Do you know the last time – I don't know if you know this, but the last time Alabama's even given up 23 points?
0: Oh, oh, I just saw this earlier. Wasn't it like 2007 or something like that?
1: No, I'm looking – no, it's actually sooner than that. I was looking – I was, I was going to ask you um, – well, I guess last year in the title game, when they gave up 35 to Clemson.
0: Or maybe it was – Maybe it was Nick Stevens' passing yardage was the most by a non conference opponent since two thousand and seven. I think that's what it was.
1: How many yards did he have? He had two
0: forty seven. Two forty seven.
1: They gave up over twenty three last last year twice. Let me look at what Deshaun Watson did last year. So we had sorry, say the yards again it was two fifty three. Two forty seven. Two forty seven. No, Watson had four hundred and twenty yards, so that's not oh, the okay, case well. at all. <laughs> it
0: was something like that. <laughs> But but they they were they gave this defense a test, and I think that that's a good sign for this offense going forward.
1: And while Nick Saban didn't really say it, he mentioned like, yeah, there's things we could have done better. We need to focus more. And he had to put the starters back in there for reasons here. There, like here's what he said about the big win over Colorado State, which is a, I don't know if I'd say a big win. I'm over at Saturday down south. I would say it's a good win, maybe not a big win. It's probably a better non-conference foe than they expected when they scheduled them. Yeah. Uh, a couple things, that, like is, like we started off fast. Uh, that was the goal, but we didn't sustain that, so I guess that's a compliment. Um, you had to get off the field on third down, where you mentioned they did what Rams did pretty good. What did they go, 10 or 17 on third down? Mm-hmm. And just a couple of things, like they made some big plays that I wasn't pleased with. There's a few things where it's fine if he's not too happy, because you can't blow at everybody, but they still won by 18 points. But for the Rams, this kind of hopefully goes back to my point preseason where they're probably still at least the best team in the mountain division
0: yeah i mean i think like you said they have a lot to look forward to as they get into conference play next week
1: yeah we got a couple league games all right let's so move on to um should we go to fresno state washington sure 27 to zero in the first quarter is probably not how anybody would hope this would happen
0: <laughs> yeah that's that's a nice way of putting it
1: I let me let me say this i do like what fresno state's rushing defense did they only gave up three yards of carry that's not bad right that's a positive uh, so. i
0: mean it it kind of depends on how you slice it though
1: <laughs> i mean I'm looking yeah, for yeah something gaskin, for
0: <laughs> i mean miles gaskin didn't really have to do that much i mean in the in the first quarter they only had 41 yards rushing but that was on five yards carry and you know, even by halftime they were still averaging over five yards carry, and then after that, like, you know, who cares? You're playing against the backups at that point, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, forty one seven at halftime. Come on, what are you gonna do? Yeah. Hey, yeah, so I yeah. mean, it
0: depends on it depends on what you choose to look at. To me, I wasn't necessarily impressed. Because, you know, yeah, Miles Gaskin only had eight carries, but he had two touchdowns and he made it look pretty easy on both you know, in both instances.
1: So let me, and he did average seven yards per carry and well the sack yardage in there too, took away about at least 10 or 12 of that. They, they did have 10 TFL. So that's, there's some, a few positives, but let's go to the quarterback position. because we alluded to it earlier. Who's going to start next week? Is are the boosters really going to get their way and say it's Marcus McMarion?
0: Well, um, if you believe what you hear at your local wing shop, <laughs> probably, I mean, I guess I wouldn't be surprised. I don't, No, I mean I don't know if the rationale makes total sense because and for those of you who didn't see it on Twitter essentially um, I was speaking to someone at my local Buffalo Wild Wings who insinuated that he was connected with some boosters and they had told him that Marcus McMarion who played most of the second half of this game went 10 for 16 96 yards no touchdowns no turnovers or anything like that that he's going to get the start in two weeks against Nevada. And that part of it had to do with giving him more time to learn the offense. And that part of it had to do with Chasen Virgil, who played the first half, some of the second half, 11 of 20, 98 yards, one touchdown, one interception. Just like giving him the chance as kind of the incumbent, but also to protect McMarion from injury in games against Alabama and Washington, which... I don't know that I would buy that rationale. I guess it would might make sense that McMarion gets the start. But honestly, you know, when you're going up against Washington's backups and you're not really doing that much with the opportunities. Like, he had three drives in that second half that started within Washington's part of the field. You know, and that was off of turnovers that the defense created. All three of those drives ended in field goals rather than touchdowns. So am I a huge proponent of that kind of move? Not necessarily. He did look a little crisper, but I think some of that had to do with the fact that a lot of the times Washington was only rushing three guys. It seemed like on the occasions where they were rushing five, you know, bringing blitzes, that's when he struggled a little bit more. And, you know, he overthrew a couple of guys in the end zone as well. So, I mean, I guess, you know, if it happens, it happens, but I'm not going to be overly enthused about it. I'm not going to be overly skeptical either. It's just, you know, kind of something that'll happen, I guess.
1: So if I'm correct in this, McMarion, is a grad transfer, clearly, because he can play right away. So he has two years of eligibility. Is that correct? Yes, he does. Okay. So I can see it making a little bit more sense since he can play next year. Because Virgil still has – or, yeah, Virgil has, what, two years left as well – or two years um, after this year, right? Okay, so i make sure I'm reading that properly. Sometimes when it mentions on, like, the uh, ESPN or CBS, the player page, it doesn't technically give you all the right details what class they are. So I can see going to McMarion because if he's going to play next year, had it been, like, was Zach Klein or when you bring in one-and-done guys, essentially, like um, who was the guy from Rutgers that came over from San Diego State to play – Oh, shoot. Chris,
0: Chris Laviano.
1: Yeah, Chris Laviano playing, playing lacrosse now. If a guy has one year to play, making this change mid-season when you have a younger quarterback, that makes no sense. I could see going to McMurray just because he's going to play next year as well, you would assume. But they're also, remember, they're playing Nevada next week too, so whoever starts probably going to do pretty good.
0: Yeah, and I mean, another thing that the whole situation kind of ignores is that regardless of whoever's under center, if they can't run the ball... It's not going to matter all that much. Nope. And, you know, if you kind of look at what they did as a whole on the ground, you know, yeah, they averaged 3.8 yards per carry. But, again, if you go back to when it actually mattered, you know, they only had eight carries in the first quarter because they basically had to abandon the run because they were down 27 points by the end of the first quarter. And they were only getting, like, three yards a carry. You know, Ronnie Rivers, again, got the start And again, averaged under three yards a carry. He just wasn't getting it done. You know, Josh Hokett only had three carries. You know, got most, if not all, of his production in garbage time. So, I mean, the overall numbers are just skewed a little bit because of the situation that some of these guys were put into. It's just that this offense... Yeah, they they can pass block a little. Like, you know, they didn't give up any sacks, I don't believe. But... Or they rather they give up they give up they give up one sack but you know they have to be able to run the ball and if they still can't do that then it's going to make it difficult on either McMarion or Virgil whoever's under center going forward.
1: It's hard to tell with Fresno State is they got to run the ball better. And I think next week we'll know who what this team really is capable of because play Washington play Alabama and then they played Incarnate Word so it's really hard for any of us to gauge like how good are they. I think. We thought, I know when they beat Incarnate World, what, 66-0? Yeah, it shows the offense could do something, but again, you're playing a low-level FCS team. And so it's still, yeah, they move the ball well, but when you play in Washington, when they're putting their backups, and when it's 41-0 at the half, Washington's not playing their, their rotating more second and third string players, and maybe their first team gets in a little bit here and there to start the third quarter. you got to have some success in the second half, and like I said, they set up for field goals. And I just want to see them play a team that's more on their level to see see how good Tedford is. Cause there's people on Twitter still enamored with Tedford. Oh, we'll get them to a bowl game. They'll do this. I'm like, no, they're still years away. Despite even the one recruiting class that was pretty good in the few months, he's on the job. But again, you're not playing those true freshmen this year. You're going to play them maybe next year, the year after this is at least two years away from being even a bowl team, I'd say.
0: And I mean, the other thing worth pointing out is that this was really the first time that the secondary got exposed by a really good quarterback who can throw down the field you know, obviously Jake they're not gonna face anybody who's as good as Jake Browning for the rest of the year, but it is worth noting that he only had three incompletions. You know, he was nineteen of twenty-two and he had four touchdowns, and he basically made throwing the ball against the secondary look really easy. And it's just kind of a reminder that yeah, they have three new guys that they're starting in the secondary this year. And they all got exposed at one point or another in this game. Like Johnny Johnson got turned around on coverage. Juju Hughes got turned around on coverage. You know, Jaron Bryant missed a couple of tackles. And, you know, obviously the, there's a lot of quarterback situations in the conference that now seem to be up in the air more than we expected him to be. Oh, yeah. But it is, But it is something to keep an eye on. You know, if these guys can't rebound, that could be another source of struggle for this team.
1: All right, let's move on to the next game because we don't need to discuss too much yeah. more. Because it's uh, okay. The Grand Cam experience. Oh, uh, I wish I had that uh sound to play the what the horn sound or something. But Nevada loses to Idaho State, thirty to twenty eight. People are pissed. They burned the red shirts of uh Came in a curtain crouton, not crouton curtain curtain. <laughs> Might as well call called him a crouton. He went nineteen thirty three. Come on. Um, I don't know if it was all his fault, but this defense for Nevada is terrible here's the thing here here's here's what to put it into perspective idaho state a couple weeks ago they played utah or last week they played utah state Mm -hmm. kent myers had what four total touchdowns 350 plus total yards i don't remember the final score but it was a a massive blowout for utah state
0: it was 51 to 13
1: okay i knew it was something like that i knew it was a lot of points 51 to 13 nevada Louis is thirty to twenty eight because well Tanner Geiler throws for about two hundred seventy yards. They've this guy Michael Dean, whoever he is, had a touchdown and hundred plus yards passing. You know what doesn't help when he when he fumbled the ball seven times and give it up twice. Curatone <sighs> had four fumbles as quarterback. He looked long, I watched some enough of this game. I watched a little bit, not a ton, partly because I'm like they're down twenty three to seven at the half. But what did David Cornwell do to not even see any playing time in this game? And he still has, like I mentioned with Marcus McMarion, two years of eligibility left. Why burn the red shirt against Idaho State? Why not put in Cornwell to see what he could do? And I get the point because you're playing Idaho State. This should be an, an ease in game for a true freshman to play pretty well. But why is it Corn? What did Cornwell do? He was named a starter in the fall camp, not starter for the opener. And then gets bypassed heading into the uh, last week's game where we where Curtin on Curtin, Sorry, was the second team QB. What is up with Corn? Why is he not seeing the light of day at all? And you burn a, redshirt fresh, a true freshman's red shirt on a game they lose and where he looks lost at times?
0: I mean, it's kind of hard to say. Um, I mean, what really stood out to me, especially when they were digging themselves that hole in the first half, is, you know, I, I believe I mentioned it on Twitter, is they basically swapped out quarterbacks and didn't gain any efficiency. And at least in the first half, lost the explosiveness that Ty Ganji was giving them against Northwestern and Toledo. So, you know, I think it's a credit to Curitan that he rebounded in the second half. He did end up finishing above 50%, which is more than Ganji could say in his two starts. And he did end up with 205 yards and three touchdowns. You know, they they did find a little bit of the explosiveness in that second half. You know, McLean Mannix and Wyatt Dempsey each had a touchdown. They each had, you know, Mannix had another big catch, a 54-yarder. So they did find a little bit of that late, but it was just kind of too little too late. And so, I mean, it's just not a good look. But I think even beyond the result, maybe it's not. Such a maybe it wasn't such a bad move in retrospect. I don't know. I mean, I think you could make the case that it wasn't necessarily that bad, other than actually losing the game.
1: I I get the point, but you have Cornwall. Why not at least give him one game before he burned the the red shirt?
0: I don't know. Unless maybe they're trying to save Cornwall with the For red what? shirt. I don't know.
1: Well, they're not going to. He's not going to want a red shirt. He's not going to red shirt want to be there in three years. Like this is the first time they played a true freshman quarterback since nineteen eighty eight. And he, like I say, he did play well, but it, his running ability is not what G G is because he tried to run what sixteen times, for like five yards, I want to say. Like I said, and I mentioned he had four fumbles, one was lost, and I don't get it. Just, it just doesn't make sense that they would make the move. I get, I do get the move. I understand. That, like this is, a, if you're going to make a move, this game you, is ideal to make the game, make the switch. But you're playing a team. that's not just a bad team. That's a bad team in the in the FCS level too. Like, Idaho State hasn't been very good for a while. And they were just outplayed by a team, like, down double digits early on and couldn't do anything.
0: I mean, I think, like you said, one of the things that really stuck out is that the defense just didn't step up, you know? They gave up more yards per play to Idaho State than they had the week before against Toledo. Jeez. And, yeah, (laughs) I mean, yes, they ended up, you know, with a lot of tackles for loss, but, you know, with as many dropbacks as, as they had, you know, they had thirty eight dropbacks and they only managed two sacks. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this defense could just be the kind of defense that needs a lot of work. And I don't know what else to tell you, really, beyond that.
1: Do well, I know an interesting fact? Um, this is comes from Chris Murray. There, Nevada has played more true freshmen in its first three games, which is eight. Than Chris all did in his nine-year career or nine-year duration of his second tenure with the Wolfpack.
0: That is really interesting. Nine years. I'd say maybe that's just indicative of him trying to see what he has, you know, because Curaton, you know, he came in with the 2017 recruiting class. He is Norvell's guy. And, you know,
1: well, so is Corn. but, so, but, but so is Cornwell.
0: Yeah, but I mean, they wanted him as a. I mean, they wanted Curatone as a recruit, and you know they they put McLean Mannix into the starting lineup. He's been really good so far. He's a true freshman. He is one of you know Norvell's guys. So maybe it's just an instance of not necessarily hitting the reset button, but kind of accelerating the timetable of seeing what he has with his guys that he brought in to implement his system, and if it's the kind of thing where you know, it's often not pretty then so be it. But maybe this is the kind of thing that pays dividends in a year or two. You know, it's the whole year zero situation if that makes sense.
1: Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what Chris Murray, he like alludes, like asks himself some questions. Like, are they going to try to win for the future? Like you said, does it want to keep playing true freshmen with eye down the road? Um, or does it want to try and win as many games as possible this year? You got to choose. But I think it's future because if they're going with the true freshmen week three, even though you have two guys back. Well, I guess one guy, Cornwall who could be here for a couple of years. Or isn't Ganji? Ganji's a junior as well, is that right? Yes. So you have two quarterbacks who are going to be around next year, presumably, at least at least eligibility-wise, have the option to do so. But you opt to go with the true freshman week three. And like the said, I mentioned, him playing eight true freshmen, more than Chris Alt did in his nine-year second tenure. Nevada leads me to believe what you just said. They're going to play, struggle this year, get these guys as much much experience as possible, and see what happens. And plus, if you think about it too, if we want to go one step further, the West Division, again, is not very good. Maybe they could sneak one past San Jose State or Fresno or UNLV by playing bad teams and get three or four wins with all these two freshmen to like get, like, hey, we know how to win a couple of games. We won, let's just say they go four and eight this year. They won a couple of games. And then the the next year, again, we have guys who played just those true freshmen 80 career starts already in, in mm-hmm. one year. Maybe that's the case, but it's a risky situation because I don't care who you are. You shouldn't. I, I get FCS teams upset team, but it's not like you're playing like Eastern Washington or Montana or Montana State or even Weber State who put a scare in Cal is pretty good in the big sky. Or it's not the old days of Appalachian State or Georgia Southern or Coastal Carolina. Idaho State's a bad team. And, well, so is Nevada apparently. All right. Next game, what are we up to next? Are we up to the – oh, Oregon-Wyoming. Oh, jeez. Do you know how many NFL scouts are in the stands for this game or how many teams are represented? Do you know how many
0: people are still on the Josh Allen first round quarterback bandwagon? I don't know. Zero? Probably there's a lot more space than there was you know, a couple days ago, I think.
1: There are about – if I recall, Rush um, – oh, shoot. Ralph Russo from AP said 21 scouts or 21 teams – represented it, and he, not represented it, I can't talk to you, represent whatever, 21 NFL teams were there watching him, did you see what Russo's car was in Wyoming, his rental car? Oh, it was, wasn't it the Hummer? <laughs> it was some sort of, I don't know if it was a Hummer, it was some sort of Jeep with the, uh, the spare tire having the Wyoming logo on the back of it, mm-hmm. <laughs> something like that, I don't know if it was a Hummer, but a Jeep, but... I, I I'm I'm trying to ask some NFL draft guys I know like I I sent some DMs and texts to guys I know maybe I'll ask I know an agent maybe I'll talk to him down the road that I know reasonably well, but again this is a pattern that's consistent with him playing good teams, like Oregon yeah the three zero their defense is probably a bit better but mostly the offense is what led them but when he played good defenses or teams from power five teams or good defenses Allen struggles mightily nine of twenty four in their loss of forty nine to thirteen only had 64 yards on the day.
0: I mean, I think more importantly than that, you know, when it basically, I mean, it basically all went sideways in that first half. And, you know, in second that quarter, man. yeah, the second quarter. And, and at halftime, if I'm not mistaken, he was what, three of 13, three of 14, something that you would not have expected, you know?
1: So what's the deal with him? Because... Like, I wasn't super high in him being that high of a draft pick anyways. And I'm serious. Does this go back to Matt Miller being the one guy who said that the people just group think and thought about together? Because I messaged the guys like, well, I haven't seen enough of Allen this year. I didn't see the Iowa game yet. But when, like, I know NFL draft guys, they kind of have – would it be fair to say they sort of have the same opinion after a while? This is one guy from Bleacher Report who Matt Miller knows his stuff, I believe, pretty well. He says he's a first-round pick. Then you see at the end of the draft, Adam Schefter, ESPN, saying – NFL personnel guy, NFL personnel guy saying he'll be the number one overall pick next year. Would have been the number one pick this year had he come out. Am I, I, I don't think I'm blind seeing, even last year saying this is ridiculous. This is crazy. It's good exposure for him. But we, we talked about it. he can't even complete 60% of his passes. When he's playing New Mexico, um, playing Utah State is not very good, playing Air Force defense, playing New Mexico, whoever I already said Lobos, playing – he had to score 69 – they lost to UNLV last year. Had to score 66 points and still couldn't win. Is he? Are people just liking his size and he can throw the ball far? Is this like Dante Culpepper or something? But he's obviously not Dante Culpepper. Is he Jamarcus Russell who can chuck it down the field? I don't know. But I, I, I just think the hype, I need to talk to more people. But it just seemed unreal last year. And this year he's proven our point that he's not this guy.
0: So I know I've brought up this comp before. And we'll talk about the rest of the team in a moment. But I actually actually went and looked up, you know, Pat. I wanted to make sure that the comp was more reasonable than it was at first glance when I first mentioned it. But Josh Allen, at least right now, might just be the new Logan Thomas. Big guy, knows how to run, has a rocket for an arm, but, you know, isn't the most accurate guy in the world. And is maybe more of a project quarterback than anything. And I went back, and I actually looked, and there was more than one website that, at least I believe, heading into 2013, you know, there were guys out there mocking Logan Thomas as a first-round draft pick, and then when he actually did come out, he was a fourth-round pick. And
1: and he's now a tight and end. And he's now
0: a tight end. <laughs> so, I mean, when I see Allen kind of running around and, and trying to make plays... You know, it almost always, like, especially this year, and I noticed it last week against Gardner-Webb, too, and you saw it a lot against this Oregon defense. It just seems, like, really haphazard. I don't know that I have a really precise way of explaining it because, you know, in this instance, I don't know that you can necessarily put a lot of the failure on a lack of a running game because, on the whole, you know, yes only averaging, you know, 3.6 yards a carry on the game. It is their best performance of the year on the ground, but is probably still but it's still below average, all things considered. But if you go and actually look at what they did in halftime or in the first half, you know, it was 15 carries as a team for 81 yards. You know, Milo Hall had over five yards a carry. You know, so did Trey Woods in his couple of carries. Josh Allen when he was running the football, when he wasn't you know, fumbling when when it, when it didn't look like he was about to fumble every other carry, he had over five yards carry. But you know, he was only one. But he was only one of eight on third down. Like he just wasn't moving the chains. He wasn't making throws when he needed to.
1: Am I like not to take credit for this? But I called it way last late in off season. Like Wyoming might not win six games this year. They might sneak into a bowl game. My latest projections have them. I think of the would I put the Arizona bowl or something? But let me ask you this. Is Oregon that good of a team? Because here's what I'm, I'm leaning toward. Now, even though they're ranked in the newest latest top 25 at 24 in each poll. they were up 42 overs. Nebraska nearly lost 42, 35 Nebraska almost lost to Arkansas state and, but did lose to Northern Illinois. So is Oregon really that good?
0: I think they could be. Yeah. I mean, based off of based off of what I saw last week and this week, you know, you're looking at a team that, you know, they have a legit running back who, by the way, ran all over this Cowboys defense. Royce Freeman had, you know, 162 yards and three touchdowns. And, you know, he was another one of those guys that made those touchdowns look relatively easy. And they have a pretty good quarterback who was better than you think he was last year. You know, he was, you know, Justin Herbert was 18 of 29, 215 yards, one touchdown touchdown. Pretty good, yeah. You know, did have one interception, but, you know, on the whole, it was very solid. And, you know, most of last year's problems really revolved around the defense. And, you know, at least for one afternoon, you know, they sacked Josh Allen a couple times. They, you know, forced a fumble out of him, and they had a 30, or they had an interception, so maybe the defense is kind of back into form, and you know maybe they're not as good as Washington, but they sh- are still good enough to be a factor in the Pac-12 North. Yeah,
1: yeah, I think their offense is better because looking like they scored seventy-seven against FCS team, forty-two versus Nebraska. Offense is legit. Defense, I, it's it's getting there, like you said. I just don't know what to expect from Wyoming. Like, I I, I I, hop on the guys in Hawaii radio all the time. I did, I think, a week and a half ago. And I keep harping. Like, how's Wyoming? How is this? I'm like, well, you lose Nate chase Roulier, Brian Hill. You lose uh, Tanner Gentry, your top four receivers. Or top, whatever, three or four pass catchers. You're going to struggle. But this is beyond just struggling with new guys on your team. I get you're playing Oregon. And most people didn't think Oregon would be that good this quickly with Willie Taggart there as his first-year first head coach. But... It's just disappointing. Like, I get the hype was there. Like, there's people outside the conference I talk with. Like, yeah, is Wyoming going to win because Josh Allen? I'm like, no. They might finish fourth in the conference. Would you, word, you probably, have you done your rankings this week in our weekly uh, power poll yet? Have you Not filled yet, those out? No. Where Not would you yet. put Wyoming then? Where would you put them, the Cowboys?
0: I mean, they'd almost have to be in the bottom half somewhere. I mean, I think where. The struggles against Iowa and the struggles against Gardner-Webb could be, you know, placed elsewhere in a lot of ways. You know, I think a lot of this result comes down to Josh Allen himself. And, you know, I I think we all kind of expected him to be better. And, you know, he it's not like they don't have a chance to pull it together in conference play. Because, you know, Hawaii's got a, a defense that gives up a lot of yards through the air and you know Texas state you know in the next couple of weeks we don't really know how good the bobcats are yet they just gave a run you know rather they just gave appalachian state a run for their money but you know they were probably the worst offensive team in the in the country last year so they have time to turn it around but a lot of it is going to hinge on Josh Allen just being better than he has been in the first few weeks
1: all right, really quick. We have five responses to our power poll, and I'm already ticked that there have been. It's not unanimous so far for San Diego State, and it really makes me mad at the moment. <sighs> Whatever, but right now, I put Wyoming ninth in my poll. Oh, no, excuse me, seventh. Sorry, That's, I'm number two, seventh. So right now, out of the five people that voted, we have two sevenths, an eighth, and a ninth for Wyoming.
0: And just a reminder, if you contribute to our Patreon, you can also vote for Wyoming wherever you want.
1: You can hijack it, I guess, but sure. Go for it. <laughs> that it's, I should have made a separate sheet for those people, but it's not a big deal, but you can definitely do it. It's, it's all for fun. It's not too serious. We tell people that those those can happen, but we'll have a handful of people who are actually participating. Like we have a lot of people who can vote in the poll, but not everybody does it, but we appreciate that. But yeah, well, I mean bottom third, essentially almost or bottom. Yeah. Bottom third. So. All right, let's get to um, really quick. Um, Utah San Jose State. I watched a bit of this game because apparently my nine year old wants to watch football now, so I'm like, sure, I'll watch Utah football. So Utah San Jose State. Um, I didn't see how this happened, but Montel Aaron may have had a um, torn ACL, severe knee injury. That's not good. I didn't see what happened. It was on because I we turned on the game late because I thought I had it paused to record, but it did not. So I started about second quarter or some bit but it ended up being 54 16 he's on the crutches he had yeah the crutches or whatever on crutches knee wrapped up knee and ice his right knee and so he only went two of five. had to get pulled from the game because of i wish i saw the injury and i wish somebody else other people covered san jose state but not many people do mercury news or otherwise <laughs> to see exactly what happened but yeah josh here's what was interesting we talked about sam allen maybe being number two quarterback they went to Josh Love back to back in the game, and he actually did reasonably well. He had a touchdown pass, went 13-25 for a one eighty-three. And San Jose State nearly—they made this game interesting at halftime. They uh, kicked a field goal. They got an interception off of Tyler Huntley. Then they went down the field to had a touchdown pass. I think it was a forty-seven yarder to Bailey Gather or Gather to make it at the half. Yeah, thirty to thirteen, which is within striking distance. But in the second half, they did nothing until a late field goal in the fourth quarter. Utah's offense is just too good. Huntley had four touchdown passes. Here's what I give credit for, man. Did you see the rushing attack for Utah? Not overly impressive against his uh, Spartans' rush defense.
0: Yeah, I mean, yes and no. <laughs> you know,
1: let's say, four yards to carry for them? Come on, that's not yeah, bad. Yeah, I mean,
0: you know, and again, you know, if you kind of dive into the numbers, you can kind of see they were, you know, when the game was still relatively competitive, yeah, San Jose State did have a nice performance. Like, in that first half, it was, you know, 3.7 yards per carry. The problem was that, was that, you know, Huntley had a really good game through the air. You know, he, by halftime, he had over 200 yards, and he was completing, I believe, about what, two-thirds of his passes or something like that. So I think for, you know, whatever, you know, positives he could take out of the run defense, you know, the you know, secondary probably gave up more plays than they wanted to. I'm trying to look at how many chunk plays, you know, Utah had. And yeah, they had 18, they had eight plays of more than 15 yards, which is probably more than you expected to see, you know, not only from Utah's offense, but to have San Jose State's defense allow. And on offense, you know, Losing Aaron Hurts, but again, you know, the running game just kind of disappeared. And some of it, I think, is skewed by the fact that they allowed five sacks. But, you know, yeah. Zamora just didn't get it done. He only had, you know, 2.8 yards per carry. And, you know, Tyler Nevins and Dijon Packer were a little bit better. But, you know, they were forced to throw a lot. And they were put into situations where they had to throw to keep the chains moving. And in this particular game, you know, not only were they one of 13 on third downs, but, you know, the oh. average third down was kind of like it was in a couple of the other games we've already talked about. Their average third down distance was nearly nine yards, and they didn't...
1: Too, that's too much, I mean, too yeah,
0: much. Yeah, and they didn't complete a single third, they didn't convert a single third and long, and by the time they actually did move the chains in a situation where they needed to, the game was already well out of hand, so... Yeah, there are some positives, but I think that there's a lot more to be disappointed with in this result.
1: Yeah, they threw the ball reasonably well cuz even if you look at the negative yards by the three quarterbacks, that's minus uh 51 yards. Take that away, that's 80. It's still only 81 yards rushing on what 25 attempts, I believe it yeah. is. 13, uh, 24 attempts. That's still not very good. And they had and again, they had to throw the ball cuz they're down double digits going into the second half. And Utah's really good. They, Utah got a little bit lucky because they brought in trouble the trouble Darian Carrington from Oregon. He had three touchdown receptions, but you would think you, uh, San Jose State's secondary would do something good, but they didn't really do much of anything outside of the one interception by Trevion Biera that led to a touchdown at the end of the half. But I'm su- I'm kind of surprised that the difference in this game was such a bit was so large because Utah's offense hasn't been that great over the past couple of years due to the rotating coordinators, but maybe they found their guy from EW to come in and take it away. But Spartans got a better running game and we'll see. Uh, we'll look up what's going up with uh, Aaron. I looked after the game last night, kind of a little bit this morning, but we'll see where he's at because Joshua hasn't been terrible, but Aaron Aaron has been the guy to get him in the end zone more often than not. Our rarity for the final game is actually good. After all day, we get some positive news.
0: And it was a really good game.
1: We're talking San Diego State-Stanford. Power goes... Oh, should we start with the power outage? Yeah, why not? Their power outage was late in the game. And here, one more thing really quick. This wasn't a game where Aztecs did anything like fluky to get the game or unique circumstances like, oh, a muff punt for a get the ball to one-yard line, you score next play. A pick six or some sort of unique play to get a victory. This is just a strength-on-strength, run-the-ball, pass-the-ball football game where Aztecs just beat the Cardinal.
0: Yeah, I mean, if, if you kind of look at the breakdown of the game, they didn't do anything other than what they usually do, which is just run the ball and play good defense. What is kind of unusual is that, you know, you might have thought that the game would go off the rails based off of, you know, this normally stout run defense giving up nearly seven yards of carry in the first half. Um you know, and they ended up giving <laughs> I'm trying to look at what they had. They give up nearly eight yards of carry throughout the entirety of the game. A lot of that damage came after halftime. I think where the credit comes is how they really shut down Kellen Christ. You know, they held him under fifty percent. You know, they he only had fifty six yards and they picked him off two times, including that you know, game ceiling interception from Cameron Kelly. You know, this is, like, is this the best we've seen this defense play? I mean, I know that that's a lot to, to ask you to think about because they've had a lot of really good performances. I mean, I was just going to say they basically made Stanford one-dimensional. Like, Bryce Love had a great game,
1: but that was basically it. He had one play, though, too. Like, even he had that one yard touchdown run – that, I kind of thought, crap, or 51-yard touchdown run. He had two touch. wait, I'm trying to look at here. Did, did he have two runs over 50 yards?
0: He had three. One of them was 53, one of them was 51. Both of those were touchdowns. And then his third carry was 47 yards.
1: Okay, I'm just looking at the long on the box score that I see to the right, the touchdown run. So if you think about it, yes, I get it. Those three runs happened, but that was the overwhelming majority of his carries. Outside oh, yeah. of those I'm just saying, outside of three... I know it's huge, and you can't discount that, but that's almost 150 yards on three carries. Outside of that, what, 10 of 30? It took him a long time to get to break out those plays, which are huge to keep Sanford in the game, but this wasn't where Love was going. Yes, he averaged 14 yards a carry, but outside of the big runs, he struggled to move the ball. Everybody else? Cameron Scarlett, three for five. Connor Wennington, one of nine. Trevor Spates, one for two. Yes, Love had the yards. He had the big game, but... It wasn't him just going eight yards at a time. It was him struggling, struggling, and then finally breaking through.
0: Yeah, their longest play without a big love run was only 29 yards.
1: What play was that?
0: Oh, and the, and, and and they fumbled at the end of the drive. Oh, that so drive. doesn't
1: even show up here. I just see the longest 17 that passed to Trent Irwin.
0: No, I'm just talking about like in terms of drives. Mm-hmm. Oh, drives. Oh, you drives. Yeah, okay. Yeah, gotcha. so like each... Each drive where Bryce had where love had one of his big runs they ended up scoring those 17 points. but other than that you know if you look at the drive chart, you know was, there was you know, two plays 29 yards and then they fumbled right before halftime mm-hmm. four plays 13 yards early in the second quarter and then they punt other than that lots of three and outs and just like abysmal looking drives.
1: they had seven drives either four plays or less.
0: That's pretty good.
1: And three of those were turnovers. And one was one resulted the opening drive, negative yards, drive two, zero yards. This like Aztecs, like, yeah, twenty to seventeen. The reason they were this game was even this close was because of the running game for love. Like Penny had hundred and seventy five yards. He broke out some good ones. Christian Chapman, like I said, I'm no longer making like he's legit quarterback. Twenty one and twenty nine. Yes, he didn't have to go downfield very often, but that's an insane percentage. I've always said I'm not, if, if the Aztecs can find any sort of a passing game, they're going to be very difficult to beat and the best team nearly by far in the conference, them in New Mexico, if they can both get things together. But obviously the defense and everything for Aztecs moves beyond what Lobos can do. But they threw the ball, and then Michael Holder, hey, if you, if we had our preview podcast out there, I said Michael Holder would have a good game. Look what he did. 7 for 85, lined it up against his twin brother. 12 yards of play. Boom. Too bad nobody heard it, so they're never going to believe me. <laughs> and then Nick Botton. Did you hear all the praise that he was getting in this game, playing fullback? I did not. They were mentioning his name left or left and right the entire game. Apparently by some, maybe it's PFF or somebody like the number one fullback in the country for draft wise.
0: Yeah. I mean, that sounds about right. (laughs) I mean, we saw what he did leading lead blocking for Donnell Pumphrey last year, and now he's leading for the league. No, not the leagues Isn't he the nation's leading rusher right now
1: uh, well i'll look in a second but he also caught the ball two times for 10 yards
0: uh to answer my own question yep. he is and it's he not is. even close coincidentally bryce love is second but
1: Bryce, Br- hold on real quick bryce love on the air when you go by sort of by yards per game just because that kind of gives you an idea yeah he's number two in yards per game he's also him he has 43 carries averages 12 yards per carry it's not bad. As I was looking down the list, I'm like, who else is close? I'm like, oh, here's uh, Ty Johnson. He only has 15 yard, or 17 attempts and 15 yards per carry, but only 17. 43 yards and you're averaging 12 yards a touch? Holy crap. <laughs> yeah,
0: crazy. so, I mean, it, it doesn't surprise me then that Baden is getting a lot of accolades. Like, people are paying attention to this team now, and rightfully so.
1: Are they really paying attention to this team? Because they're only ranked 24th in the polls and 22nd in the polls.
0: Well, I mean, there is a little more of a disparity between them in South Florida and the coaches poll, but oh, you know,
1: don't get me started with South Florida.
0: We'll talk about that in a moment, but in the AP top 25, they are right behind the Bulls. So if they keep winning, it's going to be a really interesting race to new year's day.
1: So really quick, I, I, I mentioned the power outage that happened. I believe I wanted to look at the exact time. Was that when Stanford had the ball on trailing? Is that correct?
0: I believe so. Yes.
1: Because so I remember, it was like a tw- I had this game. I was behind. I didn't have the game set up because I would paused and whatever stuff happened. So I didn't get finishing until like one a.m. Mountain time. So I nearly caught up. But yeah, power went out. I'm like, what the heck's going on? And it looks like um, yeah, Stanford had the ball, and then they ended up. What would that last drive end up end up being? Just uh, nothing, I believe. Or no, is it? Jeez, oh, I sound so clear doing this. Um, there's three minutes left in the game. Three fifty eight. Power outage. Seventeen to thirteen. Is that right? Is that the right score? I'm sorry, I'm looking at the. Uh, yeah, it's uh, 17 to 13. So this is before. Aston, no, Aztecs had the ball. Aztecs had the ball. There we go. Then they had to the touch on. Sorry, I was trying to. I. You know what's really good, Matt? If you take notes before we do this, sometimes on specific things like this, that's helpful, right?
0: Yes, note taking <laughs> is good.
1: I should have done more. I, I I thought it was later, but no. San Diego State had the ball. It's like, holy crap, what's gonna happen? Are they going to lose momentum? Get stiff, get cold after the game, but they go down and get touchdown. And then, like you said, Kem- Kelly, interception to seal the victory. And let me ask you this. Is this potentially the best victory for Aztecs history in football? One of the best? I mean,
0: some people, a lot of people were making that argument. It isn't often that you get a ranked team in your own home with a chance to beat them, and that's exactly what they did. So. You know, I'm not as familiar with Aztec's history as a lot of other people are, but I think you could definitely make the case for it, yeah.
1: I would say I'd probably go back to the Marshall Falk years because they've been brutally terrible before Brady Hoke came to town. Mm-hmm. But you want to know a fun fact? Qualcomm had, Qualcomm had 43,040 fans at this game. You know how many of the Chargers had at um, Carson City today in their NFL game? Less. Try almost half. 25,000. Yeah, that sounds about right. That I know that. Right. I know that stadium StubHub holds only thirty k, but still, just say it. Is this what is it? One city, one team, or something? Is that what they're going with?
0: That is what. Yeah, that's the slogan.
1: All right, so they get to victory. I would say it's one of their best ever. Let's um, they're gonna sustain this because here's the thing. Like season I talked to the guy Colin Sherwin over at uh, the Daily Stampede during that P six. Hilarity, hilarity during a media day up in Providence again. He mentioned, he thinks South Florida will have the edge because they're ranked higher because preseason polls matter. However, I know there's going to be some similarities, but the college football playoff poll is separate. It's different. They shouldn't be taking into account these rankings now for the, I don't, maybe for the most part, maybe a little bit just to, Oh, I see Washington's number six. Let I me mean, look at them closely more closely than I would say Minnesota or state or Arkansas, if you get my point. They're going to look closer at these teams. Why is it – so it's going to be strength of schedule. South Florida already is missing one game because was it the UConn game that got canceled? Uh, one of the,
0: think, I think so, yeah.
1: Yeah, UConn game got canceled. They they put a whooping on Illinois, but Illinois is not very good. They got Temple this weekend – or this was it Thursday or Friday night? Next week, a non-Saturday game on ESPN. It's a Thursday night game. Thursday night game. What – like, honestly, what metrics, By not just metrics, just watching these two teams play, how is San Diego State below South Florida, or better yet, how is South Florida honestly even ranked at this point? They're 17th in the country. I don't think they're better than Washington State. Louisville, Utah, I think, would run them over. Florida, maybe their defense would smother. Quentin Flowers. LSU got smoked. Maybe not them, but Oregon's offense would put up points on them. Why, why would you think the coaches' poll, besides it being – probably the SID poll put South Florida higher is just because they won and teams like Louisville lost, LSU lost, that they're ranked higher at that point in top 20?
0: I mean, I think preseason projections or preseason perceptions rather have a lot to do with it. Um, I mean, other than that, you know, there is the, the Quentin Flowers thing, but I think if you know, rightly or wrongly, I think if, if Rashad Penny keeps playing at the high level he's playing at right now, that kind of intangible factor is going to even itself out a little bit, especially if South Florida keeps getting off to slow starts. Um, I mean, I think some of it has to do, I mean, I don't always believe in it, but I, I, I do think in this case there might be a little bit of East Coast bias because not everybody is staying up to watch San Diego State put a licking on everybody and maybe but, but, something has on. to do with.
1: Yeah, but they played a right top 20 team in Stanford. You got to tell me they're not paying attention to a ranked team versus two undefeated programs. Well,
0: I'm just saying maybe they're not standing up to actually watch it. You know, they see the results, but they're not seeing, you know, what San Diego state can do with their eyes, you know, and some of it may also have to do with the fact that, you know, they don't necessarily play a flashy style of game. Like they're not always like, they're not the kind of team that's going to drop 40. On everybody. They're the kind of team that'll drop 21 or 28 and probably hold the opponent to 10 or 14 or something like that. So, you know, they're never going to win like you know, a lot of 30 point blowouts in the Mountain West, even as they're, you know, dominating probably a lot of the teams in the conference. I wouldn't put too much credence in the coaches' poll. I think it is more telling that the two teams are right next to each other in the Associated Press poll.
1: True. I, I would say, went, while you're doing that, I went to the S&P Plus week four. I know it's early and their numbers can be kind of skewy. They have San Diego State 61st overall in S&P Plus.
0: So if you go to ESPN's Football Power
1: Index... What do they have it at? What do they got?
0: These Again, the two teams are literally right next to each other. They have USF at 48 and San Diego State at 49.
1: Interesting. S&P they also has... get... Give... Oh, they sorry. also
0: give the Bull I was just gonna say they also give the Bulls a 3.4% chance to win out, and they give San Diego State a 9% chance to win out and go undefeated.
1: Hey, who called undefeated Aztecs in the preseason? Me.
0: Also, their their chances of winning the conference are about twice as much as South Florida's is.
1: Interesting. So let's look at more really quick before I wrap this up. More S&P plus South Florida forty six. Do you want to take a gander at who the highest-rated S and P Plus team is from the group of five?
0: Isn't it Boise State?
1: <laughs> yes, it is. Twenty-nine.
0: Yeah, I mean, I know that a lot of that has to factor in preseason stuff. Mm-hmm. I thought it was really interesting. Like there was the uh, the the top five S and P, if you did not account for preseason projections
1: oh and, i did like, forest I, was fifth that's right i'm just noticing that now because i i saw a tweet saying something that byu would be 123 without preseason projections and i'm like mm-hmm. holy crap um 121 oh i didn't see that so without preseason hmm what did let me see where this puts standing a state because this is a fun chart to mess with 74 holy crap that's worse <laughs> how is it worse
0: And, I mean, what's really interesting is, like, we the Aztecs are in a really good position. They're basically carrying these, you know, big money bowl games on their shoulders now. They're carrying these hopes. Next week, though, they got to go to Air Force. (laughs) And and that's never an easy matchup for anybody, even for the Aztecs as good as their defense has been. But we'll talk about that more in the preview podcast. I just thought that was really interesting.
1: So let me ask you this one real quick, because we're going to wrap this up, because we've been going for a good... 90 minutes, holy crap, for a bad week? We had a lot of ranting to do this week. If, I think you're in line with me, but just both of us say if so If both San Diego State and South Florida win out, should San Diego State deserve that New York Six Bowl game at 13-0,
0: 13-0? Honestly, I feel like it's going to come down to whoever each of those teams ends up beating in the conference championship game. And I only say that because... You know, the Mountain Division looks a lot less predictable than, you know... And that's really saying something because it seems like it's been unpredictable the last two years. But, like, if, if Brett Ripon, for instance, is slow to come back from the concussion, that could throw Boise's championship hopes into doubt. You know, if Colorado State has another off week like they did against Colorado or, you know, something like that. You know, there there's no invulnerable team in the mountain division so like if they are facing off against a i don't know let's say a nine and three colorado state and south florida is facing off against a 10 win navy team or something like that i feel like that could make a difference or vice versa like if south florida is playing you know an eight win you know houston team or an, a nine win memphis but san diego state is playing a 10 win colorado state I think here's what, that's going to make a difference. So it's really impossible to say right now. I know this sounds like a cop-out, but I feel like that's going to be the deciding factor. And there's really no way to know one way or the other yet.
1: Here's what we don't want to see. South Florida and Memphis playing the title game If Memphis is, say, I know it's hard to say undefeated, but like, because they usually got to be undefeated or one loss. Mm-hmm. If it's undefeated South Florida, undefeated Memphis, Memphis just beat UCLA, who is ranked. They will have the better edge. I would give the edge over Memphis – Especially if they're going to play South Florida over San Diego State, unless like I know I, I don't want to get too deep in the weeds, but they'd beat UCLA who is ranked. South Florida, if they're undefeated, they're obviously going to be ranked. That'd be two ranked wins. San Diego State needs something like Stanford to win the Pac-12, or Arizona State to do something crazy, do well, and hope the Mountain is say CSU's ten and two or something, or Boise's eleven and one. At that point, they'd probably be ranked. Then it'd be pretty close. Yeah. So I, I probably would give the edge over – I'd probably give it to Memphis over um, South Florida. If Memphis were to be undefeated. I guess we'll have to, <laughs> I'm, I'm just It's saying really hard to say. The, the
0: American is really unpredictable. We'll, we'll get more into that in the coming weeks Yeah, well. they got
1: some good teams. I just want to toss it Memphis because they beat UCLA. Because South Florida, one last thing, they're not going to have a top-tier opponent until they maybe play Memphis. Like a mm-hmm. ranked opponent. So – their schedule's paper thin and we'll look at their schedule later down the road. Maybe I'll do a post on it or something about these like Sagran or whatever rankings we have, but that's our show for today. Jeez. Hope you liked your commute this morning, 90 minutes with us. Cause that's how long the show is 95 minutes. All right. And it, nothing else to add, correct? Nothing else. Are we good? I think we are. All right. So check out our site, mwcwire.com. Subscribe to iTunes, blog, talk radio, tell your friends, tell two friends. And like I say, to have them tell two friends, because if you listen, it helps us out a ton of review even better. Like we say five stars, but tell us what you really feel. We just want the five stars. That's all we want. And that's our show. Yeah, that's it. MWCwire.com. And yes, we are biased to get your team.